Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Last time we were together... I gave you a simple outline of chapter 21. Get your notepads and your pens out. Simple outline of chapter 21. We found in verses 1 through 8, a brand new world. A brand new world in verses 1 through 8. And then the second section of that outline of chapter 21, we'll see this morning, a bright new city. I cannot tell you how excited I am about these verses. One of those, these are one of those sermons that you just get excited about. I mean, you're looking for home and looking for heaven. And, and so it's just a great, uh, great chapter. So the outline of verses 1 through 8, we looked at last time, a brand new world. This morning, verses 9 through 27, a bright new city. We talked about a brand new world. Why? How? It was brand new in type. This new earth was created out of nothing. No pre-existing materials. It's a new capital because John saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And it's a new relationship because God himself is dwelling among his people. John said in verse 3 of this chapter, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So it's an entirely new thing. And this new city is all summed up in verse 6 of this chapter. It says, It is done. It's a brand new, splendid, spectacular, satisfying, totally safe new world. Now, listen, give me your attention. As you study the Bible, very, very interesting, the Bible doesn't talk that much about heaven. Now, isn't that interesting? Pretty much all we know about heaven is found right here in chapter 21. Now, you know we have discussed, we're at the end of our study in Revelation. We've talked about the rapture of the church, the tribulation when God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. We talked about the second coming of Jesus Christ, when Jesus is going to come and he is going to reign over the earth for 1,000 literal years. And at the end of that thousand years, we come to the great white throne judgment, which is a judgment for the non-believer. We've talked about that. We've talked about the first resurrection and the second resurrection. We've talked about the first death and the last death or the second death. And here in chapter 21, we are now entering, if you're taking notes, the always and forever of the Bible. And this is eternity. Eternity right before our eyes here in chapter 21, heaven. Now, the Bible 
gives us a lot of time and a lot of attention and detail to the tribulation. Thirteen chapters dealing with the tribulation, but only three chapters talking about the thousand-year reign or the millennial reign and the new heaven and the new earth. And even Jesus spent more time talking about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Well, I think the answer is practical and pretty simple. You see, heaven is going to be so amazing, so radical, so incredibly mind-boggling if you knew everything and every detail there was to know about heaven, your brain would explode. Boof! It's too much. It's amazing. It's spectacular. I mean, why do you think... At a restaurant, they bring out the dessert cart last. Why? Because if they brought the dessert cart out first, you'd get so overwhelmed, you'd order three cheesecakes, two tiramisu, and one pot of ice cream. I mean, you'd go for the good stuff. First And the main course, well, then you wouldn't have room for it. And so God doesn't tell us a whole lot about heaven, the dessert, because he knows we couldn't handle it this morning. We have some good stuff before us. After seeing the brand new world, we look at the second part of our outline. It's a bright new city, the new Jerusalem. J. Vernon McGee, he says of this chapter, he says, this is the hometown of the church, y'all. I love this chapter. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 9. If you're there, say a hearty amen. Well, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, me, John, Pastor John, and talked with me, saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away into the spirit to a great and high mountain. And showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, note this, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. We've seen these angels before. Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 16, we've seen these angels, they're pouring out their bowls of wrath. And then in Revelation chapter 17, one of those angels took John into the wilderness and he showed him the judgment of Babylon, the great mother of harlots. And now one of those angels takes him to a great mountain to show him the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, listen. It is with passages like these, or like this one, that some say the New Jerusalem is symbolic. That this city is not a literal city, they say. They say it's symbolic, and it symbolizes, they would say, the church. The New Jerusalem isn't a literal city, it's symbolic. Listen, I would have to disagree with that. Why? Because this city that John sees descending from heaven in the spirit, John sees the Bible later on, we'll talk about it, in this chapter gives us measurements to this city. 
And it's unbelievable. It's going to blow your mind. So John giving us measurements tells us this city isn't symbolic. This is a real, literal city. This city is called the bride, the lamb's wife, because this is the place where the bride of Christ will live forever. It's associated with the bride to give us some sense of awe and beauty of this literal city. Awe and beauty of the bride. Yesterday, I officiated a wedding at Duke Chapel. And I don't know about you, it was quite an honor for me personally to, as a pastor, to be able to officiate a wedding in Duke Chapel. And I don't know if you've been there before, but this Duke Chapel is amazing. I mean, it's very different than in here. Did you know that? It's like, whoa, whoa, man. They've got this this organ, this pipe organ. And if you've been there, you know what I'm saying. I can't even describe it. It's so majestic. It's got the ceilings and the pillars and even the, 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 the wedding coordinator. She was awesome. I wanted to hire this woman. You know how sometimes wedding rehearsals can be long and drawn out and nobody knows what's going on. And, and this lady, she was awesome. She was like the gunnery sergeant. You know, she says, all right, everybody come in, sit down. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Goodbye. We're like, did we have a rehearsal? This place was amazing. This woman, as a matter of fact, I found out yesterday, this woman, this was her 1,080th wedding at Duke Chapel. That's what she does. Unbelievable. This pipe organ, the the, the pipes are towering to the ceiling. They've got gold around them. And to play the organ, you've got to go up this staircase behind it. And it's unbelievable, the the beauty of Duke Chapel. It's unreal. And when you look at it from an aerial view, the, the pews are formed in the shape of a cross. The aisle is 290 plus feet from the altar. So the groom and the best man were in the back, and uh, he said to me, he says, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I can do it, man. I wasn't nervous earlier, but I'm nervous now. I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. I said, all right, man, you go, let's pray, bro. Let's pray, man. Let's just pray. So we go out, and we're standing there. It's beautiful. Everything's perfect. And the groom, he starts crying. <laughs> oh, and I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, I said, you all right? You need a tissue? No. <laughs> he said, just great, you know. And then the bridesmaids come down. And, you know, and then the maid of honor comes down. Just beautiful, perfect. And then the bride, she steps in. Now, remember, it's 291 feet, the aisle. So I, I, said, I said to him, I said, you see your bride? And he says, he says, yeah. I said, anybody got any binoculars? I'm like, See the bride? Yeah, yeah, yeah she, there she is. And she was beautiful. And you could see her coming down the aisle. It took her a very long time to get to the altar. <laughs> well, she finally arrived. And all eyes were on the bride. Isn't that interesting? And she's beautiful. All eyes are like, oh, look at her. You know, the ladies are like, check out her dress. Mm-hmm. She look all right. (laughs) She all right. Praise the Lord. Y'all know. 
The fellas see the bridesmaids coming down. (laughs) And so they all get there. It's just beautiful. All eyes on the bride. And it's interesting because no one's eyes are on the bridegroom. I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody's looking at the bride, except his mama, of course. She's looking at him, oh, he's just oh, my baby. That's my baby. That's my boy. Everybody, you know, the bride's mother, oh, my, my girl. But all eyes are on the bride. Why? Because she's beautiful. Because she is adorned. And that's the idea here. The new Jerusalem is made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Well, notice the big, bright, new city, Jerusalem, is descending from heaven. But I want you to notice something here. It does not, the text does not indicate that it landed on the earth. The text indicates that John saw the new city descending from heaven, but does not imply, and scholars agree, hands down across the board, that it does not land on the earth. Now that's interesting. What we have here is a hovering, hanging, suspended city over the earth in midair. Now this is pretty fascinating. This giant floating city is fixed in orbit, orbiting around the earth. So say goodbye to science fiction and hello to science fact. Oh, come on, Rodney. A floating city. Oh, come on. Well, remember, we're talking about God here. Now, I have no problem with the floating city. Why? Because I believe Genesis 1-1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me tell you, if God can create the heavens and the earth, then having a floating city is no big problem. I don't think. Hmm. This is God we're talking, not, not you, not me. I can't get a city. I can't get a duck to float in a bathtub. They always sink. I don't know what my... But God, on the other hand, and this is the Lord of all creation who can do whatever he wants. And this city has the glory of the living God and the light was like Jasper. Now, the Jasper of the New Testament is a diamond. Can you imagine? We'll talk about the dimensions of the city, but can you imagine a city that is like diamonds? You ever look in a diamond? Prisms and colors. It's beautiful. And sparkling. This is, like J. Vernon McGee says, the hometown of the church, y'all. This is where we're going. Well, then notice in verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates in verse 13 on the east. In case there's any confusion, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates at the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Interesting, now I think the Holy Spirit gives us something pretty fascinating about verse 12. With verse 12, the number 12 is a very prominent number In the new Jerusalem, notice the 12 gate and the 12 angels at the gate. 
Now, I told him first and second service. You remember the movie, Angels in the Outfield. Well, I think this will make a great movie, Angels at the Gate. Okay, so they didn't think it was good either, but I'm, I mean, to me, it makes perfect sense. Twelve angels at the gate. Notice them. It's there. Okay. Three gates on the east, three gates at the south, three gates at the north, and three gates west. And the names of the twelve tribes, did you get that, are written on the gates. Twelve foundation stones, talking about twelve, prominent number in the New Jerusalem. Twelve apostles in verse 14. Twelve thousand furlongs in length, verse 16. Talk about that in a minute. Twelve by twelve cubics is the width of the wall in verse 17. Twelve gates again in verse 21. And twelve kinds of fruit. If you fast forward to Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, we find out that there are twelve kinds of fruits. Interesting, twelve. Now, for you Bible students, here's some homework for you. Numbers chapter 2. When Israel was in the wilderness, God organized the nation by their tribes, and they were organized in four main groups. And at the center was the tabernacle. So on the north, the south, the east, and the west, the 12 tribes were, 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 were surrounding the tabernacle. Three tribes per position. The 12 tribes here, very interesting, very fascinating. A picture of New Jerusalem here with the, with the throne of God being surrounded by his people. Angels at the gate, 12 gates. Did you notice who is not at the gate? Very good, you guys all guessed it. All three services, I thought I had you stumped. Peter's not at the gate. Now, how many, how many jokes did all, they all start out? Well, let me tell you a joke. <laughs> Peter's at the pearly gates. And we go, oh, yeah. I've got one right here. Would you like to hear it? I don't have time for it. We'll go in later. Peter's at the gate. And all the jokes, Peter's at the gate. Well, did you notice? Peter's not at the gate. The angels are at the gate. But notice I also think that it's fascinating in verse 14, the foundation can be seen. That's pretty fascinating to me. I mean, you don't usually see the foundation of a building already erected. So that gives us again indication that the city has come down and it is hovering because you can see the foundation on this new Jerusalem. And on the foundation are 12 layers and on the 12 layers are the 12, the names of the 12 tribes. So we can see the foundation there. Pretty fascinating. Now, it's this city. It is this city that Abraham, Father Abraham, it's this city that he looked for. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it tells us that Abraham looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is the city, the New Jerusalem, the same city that John sees, is the city that Abraham looked for. Way back in Genesis, Abraham was looking for the city. Abraham knew the city he needed and was looking for wasn't here on the earth. It was a city to come. And it's also interesting because we know that that Abraham, knowing that there's something else, knowing that there's some place else, he never put down any roots on this earth. Abraham was a very, very wealthy man. 
But it is interesting to me that Abraham never owned a house. He didn't have beachfront property with a timeshare. He didn't have a financial portfolio. No, he didn't put anything away for the kids. He wasn't leaving anything for the kids, which I say amen to. I personally, I'm spending it all right now. I love that bumper sticker that says, I'm spending my children's inheritance. Amen. I catch up to that car. Me too. Abraham didn't leave anything. Very wealthy man, yet he didn't leave anything. Why? Because he was looking for another city. When Abraham died, it was interesting. He actually owned three things. Three things he owned. He owned a tent. He owned or built an altar, and he owned a burial plot for his family at Machpelah, which tells us Abraham was looking for another kingdom. He had a tent which speaks of the fact that Abraham knew this life was temporary. He built an altar everywhere he went. I can hear Abraham saying, look, while I'm here in this temporary earth, on this temporary world, while I'm here, I think I'll worship. He owned a tent, and he built an altar. Abraham was a wanderer and a worshiper, a pilgrim and a priest, a stranger and a sojourner. He knew what he needed wasn't on this earth. Abraham knew that what he needed was in another city, and that's why he never put down roots here. What about us? What about you? What about me? Are are we comfortable here? Are, Are we trying to put down roots here? Get a bigger house, get a bigger car, get more of this and more of that, more of this and more of that. Listen, Christian, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, Jesus could come any day. And when Jesus comes, none of these things is going to get in his way from getting you off this earth and into his kingdom. And guess what? You're going to leave it all. You're going to leave it all. You can't take it with you. You really can't. So why not send it ahead and invest in the kingdom in your home, which is in the new Jerusalem. Abraham knew that, and that's why the Bible says he looked for a city whose builder and whose maker and whose foundations were not of this earth. They were of God, the same city that John sees here. Well, notice in verse 15, and he who talked with me, John said, had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. This is fascinating. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. The construction of his walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Unbelievable. The hovering city is breathtaking. The new Jerusalem's length, height, and width are equal, like a cube. Or even many scholars believe a pyramid. The city is, get this, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles high. Is that unbelievable or what? 1,500 miles high, this is an enormous, enormous city. That would be like from Raleigh to Denver to New York to Houston and back to Raleigh. 
This is a huge city, 1,500, 1,500 cubed and 1,500 miles high. Today, we are told, we're told today that there are 5.6 billion people on the planet today. Suppose there was 3 billion people saved and living in the new city. Every person, get this, would get one square mile of property in the new Jerusalem. Now, you can't get that in Apex. <laughs> you knew that, right? Yeah, you can't get that in Apex. One square, I mean, this is a lot of property here. If a person got a quarter mile cubed, that would make room for 20 billion people in the New Jerusalem. We are not talking a small lot here. But let me tell you something. The New Jerusalem, with all of its beauty, all of its splendor, all of its gold, all of its stones and beautiful prisms, that is not really what makes it heaven, you guys. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.